0: I really think microgrids um, are definitely down the future, mainly because they have the ability to deliver like cheaper uh, cleaner, and more reliable like electricity to local communities to commercial industrial parks campuses, and the cost of these will continue to fall as they get more modular. but as you add these kind of multitude of generating devices within the microgrids, the complexity uh, intends to creep up, and that's where Veritone comes in with our own AIware technology and platform that allows you to orchestrate all of these uh, devices, make optimal um, decisions in millisecond uh, timeframe, and basically autonomously um, control these microgrids such that they we get better and better over time in terms of um, how we deliver that uh, energy, both to utilities and both to the constituents of the microgrid.
1: Veritone presents Adventures in AI, the podcast that dives into the many ways artificial intelligence is shaping our future for the better. I'm your host, Kevin Ells, and today we'll be talking with Sean McAvoy, Senior VP of Energy Solutions here at Veritone, about the rise of autonomous microgrid technology and how AI will help utilize and optimize energy grids. And forgive me, Sean, that title does sound like a Terminator movie. Welcome back, Sean.
0: Hey, Kevin. Thanks very much. It's great to be back again. I really enjoyed the last one and uh, looking forward to being in the hot seat. Um, Hopefully, uh, our microgrid solutions are not on the termination side, but more on the uh, building side.
1: The saving of humanity. Exactly. In our previous episode, we kind of did a very broad uh, introduction to energy solutions. And today we're going to focus on microgrid technology. Uh, For those who don't know, microgrids are localized power generation systems in which a distributed energy resources and utility network work in concert to provide a reliable energy to a specific community. Can you share with our guests a little introduction to this technology or a long introduction for that matter?
0: Sure. So the microgrids came about because people wanted to become kind of more resilient and um, self-sufficient. And they also wanted to have more choices over the type of energy um, that was feeding their homes, their industries, their uh, communities, campuses, et cetera. And mainly that was they wanted to go more green, mainly because of climate change. And they also wanted to have choice over over cost. So kind of what we've seen like, over the last, I would say, five years, and especially in the last, I would say, two years, is an explosion of microgrids. And microgrids, you know, they're a combination of generating assets, generating assets of, you know, solar, generating assets can be um, wind, it can be hydro, um, and they can mix with battery storage to um, provide like a network type effect or a network approach to providing energy to a community or a campus or commercial or industrial area.
1: So, so how does it work? Um, are there different kinds of microgrids?
0: Yeah, I mean, you have a smallest microgrid will consist of mainly two devices. And the smallest one that we work with is a solar and battery. So, and that can be actually on your own home. So the solar is generating energy um, through uh, the uh, sun effects it is then pumping that into either directly to your home, but more than likely it was it's putting it in your battery for storage. So when you need it in the evening, when the cost of electricity is at its highest, you can then get like sophisticated and you can have well, I have solar, but I'm a I'm a bigger like community. I also have a wind turbine. Or I have a hydro plant, or I'm gonna have multiple solar locations on every single house, plus this field beside our community. And now you have multiple distributed energy resources that are providing energy um, to your uh, community, or um, let's call it a community microgrid. And that's when things get a little bit trickier and it leads some sophistication and some autonomous decisioning and even synchronization.
1: Hmm. So we have a community here, Rancho Mission Viejo, it's a brand new community and I believe they were in California, they're almost requiring that every house has solar panels on the roof these days. Are they doing microgrids in in those communities or is that really just being fed back to the the energy provider like Edison in the case of California?
0: I would say in the evening time, it's probably being fed directly um, into your house. But if the production of that solar on top of your roof, for example, exceeds your actual consumption, say, you know, you're producing maybe 200, you know, kilowatt hours from your solar, but in your home, you're only like uh, uh, consuming maybe 50 kilowatts then or kilowatt then they will push that back into the grid, and they will get credits for that, mainly because green energy credits like go a long way. And you can get more money for your green energy credits than just um, regular type energy that is produced from fossil fuel. So more than likely, if you don't have battery storage and you're overproducing energy during the day when you don't really need it, like midday, it goes back to the grid.
1: So beyond housing communities, can you give me some other examples of microgrids in action?
0: Yeah, so universities, they were kind of one of the earliest adopters of microgrids. And the reason it was universities because in a lot a lot of universities, they teach electrical engineering. Makes sense. And electrical engineers, they go for labs. So it's research projects. And in the labs, they're looking to kind of expand beyond lab into like real life scenarios within the universities, which is, hey, can we put solar on the roof of the university? Can we put a battery in one of the dorms? Can we put, do that across multiple areas? Now we're like, you know, they're generating energy and feeding it into the university, storing it in battery storage. They're selling some of it back to the utility. They're participating in demand response programs with utilities. But more often than not, they're also looking at the carbon footprint of the actual u- university and trying to meet some goals that the, uni- that the university has set for um, carbon emissions other ones that were early adopters as well is um, the military bases. Mm. So military bases, they really try and forge ahead to be self sufficient, because in case of an extreme event, where there is a loss of electricity or a cyber attack, where it's taken out the grid, the uh, military bases need to be able to function. So they were one also one of the first adopters of um Renewable energy resources and being able to split their entire base into multiple microgrids for um, critical um, supply to it could be hospitals on the actual base, it could be to charging uh, vehicles that that are are, are needed or have priority. So they were again, like universities after universities, you had military installations. And then more recently, you had the big technology companies who decided, look, we're not going to wait for our government to take action, you know, regardless of who the government is or the country around climate change, we ourselves are going to set goals um, to be, you know, carbon neutral, uh, by twenty thirty or twenty twenty fifty, and these are the likes of Google and also uh, Facebook,
1: Apple too as well. No, yeah, you, Apple you is also there.
0: also one of them. And like even a fun fact is like, uh, for example, the um, Alcatraz um, Island, which is now um, a popular tourist attraction up in San Francisco, they are now a full microgrid, fully sustainable, using their um, own energy, and that kind of like mimics like what we're seeing across different islands where. As we engage with some of our customers, they are governments of islands, like our current one we're talking to is like the island of Fiji. And they are going, um, they have to be kind of self-sufficient because um, that's all they actually have. So microgrids around the different island, remote remote parts of, island, of islands, we're seeing that a lot, um, especially in the sunnier areas where you can have a lot of PV, which is solar, and then you can also have wind because you get a lot of wind coming in off the ocean. You couple that with battery storage and you have a pretty resilient uh, grid, microgrid, on
1: so I can, I can think of a few of the benefits, well, a number of benefits for the technology. One of them you spoke of as military bases, of course. The benefit to them is they're So if there was a blackout, their power is not going down. They can Their electric fences are still electric, as an example, kind of a weak example. But pretty much everything else around the base is still running strong. Beyond grid resilience, what are the benefits of the microgrid technology?
0: So because um, microgrids are, <clears throat> they're very kind of modular, and they're not like super big, you don't have the losses of energy around the transmission lines. So, you know, for the utilities, they are putting like solar way out in the desert, they're putting um, wind turbines either in the ocean, up in mountains, in the same with hydro. And these are typically then based long distances away from the actual communities or the microgrids, um, or even the macro grids that are actually using them. And so they have to go down like high voltage lines over like hundreds of miles and you get like transmission loss um, where you don't receive the maximum amount of uh, power. So that contributes to actually waste of energy. So you have a lot of improved efficiency by having your generating devices very close to consumption. Typically they're within like less than a quarter of a mile away from you know whoever is going to actually be using it and then there's security as well i mean we've seen a couple of like cyber attacks like in the us we had one recently on a pipeline on um, the east coast and that brought down like an entire network but if you have your network um separated and divided into modular microgrids then you can then only the microgrid where the cyber attack has been instigated can, you only need to close down that one the rest of them can actually function and take energy from those generating assets closest to them and we're starting to see utilities also start to look at this type of uh, planning in terms of the macro grid and breaking it up into smaller grids and we had a little bit of that in the big texas outage Um, in February of this year, I mean, you could have a house right next to another one, and one would be completely without electricity, and the other one would be functioning. And that's because that one that is functioning was tied to a microgrid. Typically, that is around or close to a medical center.
1: Hmm. Interesting. That's handy. Uh, There's got to be other benefits. I mean, we talk about green. That's obviously a big deal. As we sit here and smolder today in the, the California summer, which seems to be getting hotter and hotter every year. Everybody's trying to do their part, I think, to offset this. Carbon offsets, for example, must be a big part of this.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you have, like, even today, I'm, my home is not attached to any type of microgrid. But I have the option with my utility to purchase green energy for my home. Really? It's like a it's like a line item, like in the online portal that I can go in and select, I want X percent of my energy to come uh, from, you know, uh, green or, or renewables. I have to pay more for that, though. Mm-hmm. And that's my choice if I want to pay more um, for it. And it's kind of like, even if I do, it's kind of hard to like, how do I actually know
1: that this is green, green energy? <laughs> right. doesn't come with a little green tag, does exactly. it? Exactly.
0: <laughs> right. So if I, you know, so carbon um, having cars, things like carbon offsets are also really good. If I'm create, if I am generating green energy, I can sell my excesses back to the utility at a much higher price. Um, and, you, you know, we all want to get, we want to reduce our carbon emissions. So the ability in a microgrid to be able to, you um, generate green, green energy, um, be able to reduce your fossil fuels. Um, and to be able to like offset or give some of that green energy back to the actual grid is great, you know, in terms of your carbon credits, which you can sell those credits at really high price, but you're also reducing uh, emissions within your own uh, microgrid, um, you know, cost savings as well. Um, you're also kind of like when you generate you have this like, you um, this hardware associated with microgrids, which typically a few years ago was very expensive, but now it's getting like a lot cheaper to actually install a microgrid. And if you can like develop microgrids that are modular in nature, so you pick like X number of homes and you have a template for that, and that it's going to be just solar and it's going to be battery, and this is the type of battery, and we know how the software works and we know how everything's going to behave, then things become a lot cheaper. And battery storage and solar, especially solar, has become very cheap over the last like number of years which allows a microgrid cheaper to develop. Cheaper to develop means that, you know, the ROI or break-even point comes a lot quicker. And because of that, you are then generating, you know, free energy. And that free energy, you're reducing your overall kind of energy cost um, in communities or whether it's like commercial or, or industrial, especially at peak times when, you know, when we were all in offices and we all came home like in the evening or got up in the morning and we started using like lots of um, electrical appliances, there's what's called like your peak times. And you can use your own energy, just offset the peak times because the peak rates are also kind of very expensive. In addition to that, you can if you're generating your own energy and you have excess energy during the day, you can participate with the utilities in demand response programs whereby um, the utility would say, I really need more energy at this time during the day, this specific time, and I'm willing to pay you who are generating it, Mr. Microgrid, um, a premium on that energy you're producing at that time. So, so it allows me the utility to de stress the grid. So participating in demand response programs, because you have excess energy in your microgrid, is also a good way to actually make money using your microgrid
1: yeah I actually have it at my house where I have solar panels so I'm sending money back to sending money sending energy back to the grid but I also have a regulator on my air conditioner that Edison can turn off my air conditioner for an hour during peak times and they give me credit for knowing that I'm willing to let sweat it out for an hour and they'll give me uh, money back or take not give me money well they give me money back they take it off my bill every year um, yeah. at least $250 right right so my spouse may disagree <laughs> with that choice. <laughs> Her room's a little warmer than mine, and now she's working from home. I think we might be reconsidering reconsidering that. that yeah, considering that one hour.
0: I mean, for big. Um, I just spoke. I was recently speaking with a, a medical kind uh, of um, hospital up in the, the uh, Detroit area, and what they're looking for, they really like this demand response program in terms of, the, like you, they've agreed with the utility. Um, that they will reduce when the utility wants them wants them to and they get you know paid for that but now what they're doing is they're asking us to forecast when is the best time during that day when the utility is asking when is the best time for them to actually enter or participate in the demand response because they want to get the highest price for the energy that they are actually um, reducing so we're starting to work with a couple of Um, different kind of microgrid owners who don't just want to participate and reduce energy when the utility says but they want to do it when they feel it's the best price for them to do it, which is the next step.
1: So microgrids seem like the future. It's the way to go. But I imagine you need technology, obviously, to support this. It's just they're not intelligent enough to do it on their own. Where do we come in?
0: We come in in terms of orchestration. So there's like even before you get to orchestrating these power generating devices, you need to be able to forecast how much renewable energy is going to be produced, how long it's going to the production is going going to last and when it's actually going to stop. Because as we spoke about in the last podcast, the um, renewable energy generation is really impacted by the kind of intermittency of actual weather cloud cover over solar means you're not going to have it when you think you do so forecasting is a key part of it um, and because the intermittency produces gaps in your solar And, and an example of how we come in is like when you couple solar with storage which is your most common microgrid you can use the actual battery to fill in the gaps of the solar, such that you're going to have a constant curve of energy going into your into your microgrid. And these gaps in the solar output can happen in a, in a millisecond. Cloud cover can shift, the sun can start shining. This is like in millisecond to second. And then you're starting to get, you know, energy produced, but then there's another gap. And the last thing you want for your microgrid is to have gaps in the actual energy. So you fill those gaps with the um, energy that you have stored in your batteries. And that produces that smooth curve. Now you have got to say, Ooh, that sounds complicated. And yes, it is because you're, uh, you're looking to see how do I make sure that my battery has enough charge to fill the gaps during the day. And that's where the forecasting comes in where Veritone is forecasting over a 24 hour period, how much energy is going to be uh, produced from the solar panels, for example, and we take into account lots of different weather uh, data sources and computations and you know, um, atmospheric pressure outside air temp cloud cover wind speed we take all that into account to build a model of the weather directly over the longitude and latitude of your solar panel so we know ahead of time how much is going to be produced we can then look at our battery and go what's the capacity like of of our battery Mm -hmm. okay it's at 60 percent right now we need to get it to 80 so in the morning let's direct like you know solar to um, pump directly into battery such that we have enough capacity to fill all the gaps during the day. Now we know using AI and building a model of the battery building a model of the solar building a model of the weather, we know when we're going to need to fill those gaps such that we don't have brownouts or blackouts and we do that we we, we take into account capacity planning at the beginning of our project to be able to know this. And we have to do a certain amount of synchronization as well and control of the actual devices. And the key thing here is like, you do not have a human being pushing the buttons to go, okay, I see a gap, there's cloud cover, let's plug in the actual, you know, battery and fill the gap. Oh, now we have sunshine turn off the battery. No, this is all done at millisecond a second. Um, auto-decisioning because we have adaptation learning and reinforcement learning built into our solution. So our AI and our decisioning gets better over time as it learns the actual microgrid And what I mean by learning the microgrid, it learns the consumption patterns of the microgrid, when the microgrid Hmm. is going to need energy, when it doesn't need energy, the weather patterns like during the summer, the weather patterns in the winter, taking into account seasonality. And so our model and decisioning changes over time based on the change of events within the microgrid, but also in the weather and surrounding kind of variables that impact it.
1: Would you consider that deep learning because it's using super large data sets
0: There is an element of deep learning into this uh, in this and you know, we have big data sets, but our approach to this is that we do what's called inferencing at the edge. So we're building models and we have controllers and agents um, on small pieces of hardware connected directly to the devices like the batteries, like the inverters and solar panels, etc, such that we're doing this inferencing and decisioning right at the edge to reduce the latency in our response, we want to be able to respond in millisecond level, like the thoughts in your head, um, such that we can then like issue those decisions. And we don't have to wait to take the, um, the sensor data back to a big centralized, you know, database crunch numbers over like seconds and minutes to get like the optimal answer, we break it down into smaller problems and actually do the inferencing at the edge.
1: Makes sense. It has to be instantaneous. I mean, you talked about just the sun and the clouds and the wind, and now we've got the water, There's there's so many different factors everywhere, every time that you can't just wait until later and do all the math, you really have to say, this energy needs to go this direction at this time, there's a surge, or there's a a, a drop in, in energy generation. How the heck are they doing it without high end technology like we're developing? I think of somebody like an operator, like in the old fashioned days where they're moving the wires on the surface. No, circuit board. I spoke
0: to an operator like this week um at a utility company and they have a um they have like um three shifts during the day of three people that you know, so one comes on for like eight hours, another one for eight hours, another one for eight hours, and it's their job to switch between battery going and feeding the grid and solar going directly to the grid or solar going directly to the battery. That is their sole job of those nine people across, you know, a 24-hour cycle is to do that switching manually.
1: And I can't imagine that's, you know, it's not something it's that's It's super a high, expensive. Yeah, there's not a lot of people who know how to do it either. So you're yeah. kind of like somebody calls in sick and all of a sudden everything's, well, I'm having a blackout. Why? Well, Bob's hungover. Right.
0: Yeah, or Bob hit the wrong button.
1: Yeah, Bob hit the wrong button, and uh, that's probably because he was hungover and he came to work. Yeah, so, it, yeah. exactly. I'm not sure which one would have been better. Hungover. Poor Bob got blamed again. Yeah, uh, this is really good. How, how would you summarize what we learned? Because I'm, I'm looking at the time here, and we like to try to keep these around this this length. Uh, length. What's the What's the punchline here? It's It's you know the, these grids don't work without technology, and it's really yeah. the future is. This type of technology.
0: I mean, as the microgrids get more complex, and as actually we see macrogrids getting, you know, um, broken down into microgrids, the concerns of people around resiliency, around efficiency, around cost effectiveness, around security, we're seeing microgrids becoming more complex. But they are the future. I mean, the growth in microgrids is exploding, but because of that complexity, you need. Um, a very like, high-functioning brain, artificial intelligence that can manage all of these disparate resources that are generating energy. And for the most part, people want that to be green energy. And green energy has like some issues with it, such as its uh, variability and intermittency. And that's where AI can come in to actually optimize your dispatch schedule, control the devices so they don't burn out, understand like the needs of the actual microgrid constituents themselves in terms of consumption, know when to feed a microgrid, but also know when to push energy back to the utilities because microgrids have to play well with the utilities. Um, you can't, you know, utilities are regulated, microgrids today are DD regulated. At the beginning, the, ut- the utilities were saying, You're my competitor, you are now producing. Producing the energy that I was producing for you. Now you're doing it, and I'm not able to sell you. But now, like, they've started to partner more with microgrids because they see microgrids as a way when their grid, their macro grid, is stressed out because as you spoke about earlier in california is getting hotter and hotter people are turning on their um, air, air conditioning a, l- a lot more there's more stress on the grid there's more electric cars and ev stations now the utilities are working hand in hand with microgrids that when they have excess that the microgrid is pumping that back into the grid to de-stress the actual grid and more often than not they are pumping green energy back into uh, the grid which is reducing overall carbon emissions so i see it like in a world where these two microgrids especially ones that are built on renewable energies are really going to play hand in hand and nicely with utilities and help the utilities to de-stress grids but also they will have more um, green energy available to people
1: i can't imagine i, and I know for a fact nobody wants another power station built in their backyard so right. the energy companies are kind of at the mercy of this because they're not building more energy plants they no they're not
0: and they cannot they cannot generate enough new capacity fast enough right. for you know for us, us people who are on the grid, who are using more and more devices and appliances and electric cars and you know AC and climate change is impacting. So they're looking to the deregulated uh, community, the microgrid developers, to help um, supply that energy.
1: To them. Excellent. Is there anything you'd like to share before we sign off? Uh, uh- I'll state the obvious. If you want to find more information, you you know where to go at Veritone's site. But um, I mean, we
0: offer like free consultations um, to anyone who is anticipating a project coming up, has a project in flight. You know, has has actually installed or built a microgrid, but they want better control and optimization of it. You can come to us for um, a free kind of consultation, and you know, if you want to learn more, just come visit like our website. We have a ton of resources around um, our offerings and around how they help, like the energy industry, such as our you know ultimate guide to smart grid technology and benefits, as well as distributed energy resource um, management.
1: We have about ten white papers on this stuff. Um, we have some really easy to consume stuff, but we've got some deep diving technical stuff written by our PhD. What's he, what's he a PhD in?
0: Uh, he is a double PhD from MIT in um, electrical uh, engineering. Yeah. That is our own like Dr. Uh, Wolf Cohn. And he is like, um, there's probably about 25 papers on the IEEE that's been accepted from him. And we have about 28 patents on our software that we have developed.
1: Yeah, and last I counted, I think we have close to 20 white papers now written on this material that are available for people to consume, stuff that's pretty consumable and stuff that's much more in-depth for those people who need to get into that level of technology. Well, it's been a a treat as always, Sean. Thanks for sharing the time with me. I'm always learning tons of new stuff, and um, I I will now turn my air conditioning back on because I don't have it on because it makes a little bit of noise right above where I'm sitting so I'll be using some more of that energy if Edison has switched it back on for me. I'm sure I'll be back. I'll be delighted to have you. Thanks very much, buddy. I'll talk to you soon.
0: Right.
1: And I'd like to thank our audience for joining us today for Adventures in AI, the podcast that dives into the many ways artificial intelligence is shaping our future for the better. We'll be back in two weeks with our next episode. Until then, have a great day.